Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point Season 3. Uh, this is our third season of Monday Main Point and it's February. We, we were uh, derailed for a bit by weather and by travel and by COVID, but we're back and we're glad to, uh, glad to be here. We're still missing Jeff, uh, our senior pastor Jeff McCarthy, still recovering from that uh, from the fall where he had uh, towards quad, uh, his quadricep. And so he's not with us, but uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm Jonathan Hendrickson, associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon. Joined with me is uh, uh, our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer, and our children's pastor, uh, Blake Flincham. And we're uh, getting together here on this Monday morning to do what we do on Monday Main Point, which is kind of go back over uh, the Sunday message, the Sunday sermon, and uh, dig a little bit deeper. And fellas, this is actually the, the this past Sunday was the third in um, a small sort of series that that I'm doing right now on First um, John called the, that I've called "What's Different." And um, I've mentioned this in the messages that that I've, uh, I've brought, but just kind of set the podcast up for today. Um, this all kind of started when I was looking at a New Year's message, and well, you know, going into to a new year, a lot of people think about. It's a lot of time of self-reflection, time for you to look at yourself and go, okay, what do I need to change? What, what do I need to change about me? Um, what are some things I need to do? You know, and that's typically when people look and go, you know, you know, I got projects I need to finish, you know, or I've got, I've got uh, goals that I wanted to meet that I've not met. And, and this is a new year, new opportunity. Here's, here's the things that need to change. And so as I begin to think about things that need to change, I thought about it in terms of Christianity and the Christian life, and, um, and, and, and there are things that should be different about us from the rest of the world. And um, I got to thinking about uh, the bo- books of the Bible, you know, places in the Bible where they dealt with that, and I thought and immediately what came to mind was 1 John. Because if you know anything about 1 John, uh, just, just you know that it's, it's sometimes referred to as the We Know book. And the reason why is because John, in his letter to the church, has multiple "we know" statements, and they're they're statements of "we know we're we're his, we know we're Christians, basically because fill in the blank." And so I thought, oh, this would be kind of a neat message to do, like just focus to do one message on all the "we know" statements in John. Well, I started to do that, guys, and it was like it was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be because there's a lot of there's a lot of material there that John's dealing with. And so um, I knew I was going to be preaching a little bit more than what I normally do because of you know Jeff being out and, and all. And so I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity to maybe walk through a book of the Bible and just go verse by verse uh, and um, look, at, look at the entirety of 1 John as much as, at least as much as we can get through. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're just kind of walking through 1 John. And um, I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, it uh, we've entitled the, the, the series What's Different with the idea of, <clears throat> you know, each one of these um, hopefully causes us to look at what should be different in the Christian life, um, what, what should be present there. And the first one I looked at, um, just the basis behind the letter, which is this idea of a different fellowship. Because friendship with God is not the same thing as friendship with my my mates, right? French or friendship with with people in the world. Friendship with God literally means it requires obedience. Jesus says, "You want to be my friend? Obey what I command right. you." 
And I made the point, uh, Tom Gilson, in a, in a recent article I, I read, had made this point that, like, try that out with your best friend. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, you're my best friend because you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to, nobody wants a friend that does that. And yet Jesus Jesus doesn't just uh, say, you know, this is what I, this is what I desire. He's, this is what, you want to be my friend, this is what it takes. And so... Clearly, this is a different kind of fellowship. So, um, and sort of dovetailing with that, the next sermon we did on it was uh, obeying a different command. Um, these are um, we looked at what what kind of commands that we're talking about, and God clearly lays out. Or John clearly lays out a couple of I think commands. One of which is to believe in the name of Jesus as the Son of God, and the other is to love one another and. I made the point that I think both of those are are akin to the commands that Jesus said were the greatest of the commands in Matthew when uh, when he said that, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, well, how does that work out? And I think it's because you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength unless you believe in the name of Jesus as the Son of God because that is the means by which we're reconciled to God, right? Well, and he was the full embodiment of God, yeah, and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. Yeah. So, it sort of requires that. And then this past week, and we'll we'll spend most of our time probably on this one, is um, uh, looking at having a different identity. Um, the section I, I looked at, and, and and I was, I'll be honest with you, I was tempted to even skip over the the twelve through fourteen when I first looked at this because it's so one, it's so repetitive, it's kind of weird, it just sort of plops in there in the middle of, of, of it feels like it should be at the beginning of the letter by the way let's talk about that for a second um, just looking at first John this is not like any other letter in the Bible um, John doesn't read like a typical letter in fact scholars aren't even sure that it's it's it was one document it may have been a collection of sermons that he did um, we're not you know the scholars differ on that. But even if it, even if you believe that it is one document, one letter, it certainly doesn't follow the pattern of letter writing that we find with Paul or with Peter, or for that matter, with anybody in in, in that era. It doesn't follow that pattern. You you don't have it's not addressed to anybody in particular. It doesn't have the salutation followed by the followed by the argument, the pericope right, and or the yeah. teaching and everything. And in, and even we've not got there. But in my opinion, it is the most it has the most abrupt ending of any book of the Bible, especially of any letter written. Um, and we, it's it's very odd, and there's not a lot of flow to this. I was talking to you guys about that before we went on air with this. But one of the things that's making this uh, a little bit a little bit difficult um, from a pastor from a pastor preacher standpoint, you guys can understand this. A lot of times we'll look at a we'll, we'll look at a passage and go, okay. Where is the beginning of this thing, and where does it end? Like, how far do I go? How many verses do I go down before I need to start something new, right? Um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm discovering that because John doesn't have a lot of flow, and because it's not written like a regular letter, it's kind of difficult to find those delineation points to say, okay, well, this is going to be the chunk I look at this time because it's not, it's not cleanly chunked together yeah. if you know what I'm saying um, and so uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of flow so the first part of this I almost uh, when I first looked at doing this I was like well 
I could skip that, I guess. But then I started looking at it, and I'm like, well, no, I think it's really important. Um, these three verses are, are very important because he's giving his reason for writing the book. Um, and so, uh, you know, he says, I'm, I, there, I didn't get into this. And I'll, I'll, I'll get your, your all's thoughts on this. Um, I'm sure that if you've taken Greek, um, and, and I think, did both of you guys take Greek? Yeah, yeah you both have had yeah, Greek. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys did it in your Greek class. In my Greek class, when I took uh, advanced Greek or whatever, we, we uh, translated the whole of 1 John uh, from Greek to English. Um, so I, I've got it. I've got that in a notebook, and I've been consulting it as I'm going through <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but um, uh, one of the things that's odd is here he uses um, this "I am writing to you" and then "I have written to you" in this opening. Like he goes, "I am writing to you." Um, I guess present tense, right? Yeah. Little children, fathers, young men, and then he says, "I have written to you." Sort of, I guess, I don't know what that past, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, right, it's sort of past present or whatever. I've written to you. Um, and he's again goes children, uh, uh, fathers, and young men. Do you make much out of that? Do you think that I, I didn't, I didn't deal with that at all in yesterday's message? Um, I didn't, other than just to say, I think that anytime something is repeated. It, it bears listening to, in, in, especially in, um, in Scripture. If something is said twice, generally it's said because they're trying to emphasize something. Yeah, in fact, that's what... I didn't say this, but um, when I mentioned Piper, and I, I was looking over Piper's stuff, Piper said the same thing. He said, he, he said um, you know, this is... Uh, um, I, it, scholars, it baffles scholars as to why he did this, yeah. why, why he said the two things. But his take on it was that it was for importance. Any, any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I really like the theory of like being a compilation of sermons. Mm-hmm. And I think... I like that he, he wants to emphasize, I'm writing, I have written... Because uh, we, we know he has a gospel right before this. Yeah. And we know he writes Revelation and... Uh, so this is not the only thing he writes. There's a matter of timing when we want to, or, or or date of authorship and all that stuff. Right. But I think this is probably just more of a personal theory ish. But I think what he's done is he's he's kind of compiled his greatest hits or whatever his mm-hmm. his sermon points that he wants to get out. And because he's already said it in a sermon or whatever, or already wrote it, he also wants to put this document together where he's I'm. And adding additional things to like to what he sent out to the church, um, and I like what you said about mm-hmm. like the whole the familial language, right? The children, the fathers, the young men, the and I know a lot of those are masculine, um, but I think I think you're right. I think he's he's just kind of using different terms to just kind of bring everyone in to kind of like hey. You know, just targeting certain people so that maybe if they've if they've lost he's lost their attention, they can kind of hone back in on. Yeah, it, I mean, preachers do it even now, and you mentioned that like sometimes when we feel like we might have lost the crowd or whatever, uh, you might say someone's name, and yeah. then and then once you hear one name, you're like, oh, is he going to say my name? You know, and it right. just kind of brings back to the attention. Yeah. Um, 
Or sometimes when I'm speaking to my youth, I'll be like, I'll, I'll just randomly ask the question, well, what does this mean for youth, for you guys, right? Uh, so you, you talk in generalities a lot of times with the rest of the church, but if you want to get someone's attention, you bring it to their world. You yeah. bring it to their thing. And so I think that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, any, any additional thoughts on that, Blake? Yeah, I think what you said was uh, what was great. And I think of as I was kind of thinking through that, and even in some other letters that John wrote in his gospel, there's this uh, – this idea of like family and I thought of like in Second John when in verse 1 um, he says the elder to the elect lady and her children whom mm-hmm. I love in the truth so there's like a lot of familiar father language and I even think of uh, like in John you know he writes to uh, he talks about the father in John 8 and talks about how I've written this so you may have life in his name mm-hmm. and know that you know he's the son of God <clears throat> so um, and really I see a lot of this, a lot of these themes really within John's writing. Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah, because he's, he seems like a familial guy. Yes, <clears throat> one of the things that if you've noticed, uh, one of the things I've been doing a lot um, as I've done this is going back to John. Um, I, I, I think I went back to Matthew for, for last week's, but um, I've gone back to John almost every single week. Yeah, because. You find echoes of, of which makes sense because I think it's written by the same person, right? It's, yeah. So it's it's you find echoes of what he's saying in this letter that he's writing to the church. Yeah, um, you find echoes of that in his gospel. Yeah, um, and actually, you've been floating around John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, like kind of that right. middle part. Uh, yeah, where you abide in me. And, yeah, well, that's fifteen, and then yeah. fourteen was this week with the spirit. Right, right. Well, actually, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen were all with the spirit, and I'm yeah. gonna, I'll be going back there again. I can guarantee it. When yeah. we get into the section on when when John starts talking about the Holy Spirit, we've not even done that. I um, but yeah, I, I think that there's there, because that's the section for John in the in the book of John mm-hmm. that's on his teaching. Mm-hmm. A lot of the section in John is just history, right? Him, him telling a story, narrative. So it's it, it's there, and then it's also in the prologue, right? Yeah. Because the whole stuff about Jesus being the Word and being the light that when shines in the darkness, yeah. and then you have in First John, you have him saying God is uh, is, is light in Him. There is absolutely no darkness, and so yeah, yeah. there's all these sort of like you said, Blake. There's these um, sort of you know if you were putting together a, one of those crime boards and you're drawing threads you, there, there are threads that connect yeah. all these all, all these themes together they connect these these works together as well yeah and I like even in John 1 1 which that prologue in John is probably one of my favorite chapters of the Bible yeah it's when I and especially when I read here in chapter 1 I think he probably uh, like you say he definitely referenced the prologue a lot yeah because like I think of John 1, 1 in the beginning, it was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he starts out First John 1, 1, uh-huh. that which was from the beginning, beginning. which yeah. we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, right? which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word right. of life. So it's a, no, nah, I think it's really good. Well, it's yeah. just really ironic. I was watching the, the Chosen series the other night, mm-hmm. and they actually have an interesting take starting out the season. I'm not spoiling too much. Just at the beginning, they have John kind of thinking through some stuff. Mm -hmm. And I won't spoil it, but you see how he comes to uh, their Mm -hmm. take on how he comes. It's just just to see like a real life, kind of put it in uh, some visual. That's interesting. It was just a, 
I thought was cool to especially see that. Yeah. Maybe apply that. Even yeah. even that even that term, the word, the logos. Yeah. Which is it's unusual. I don't think a lot of other um, uh, Bible authors use that terminology much, but John does, and he uses it again here in in, in First John as well. So yeah, I, I like that idea, Jeremiah. Maybe he's compiling his greatest hits and his his sermons together, and that's why he's saying. I am writing to you what I've already written to you as well. And, and here's why I'm doing these things. Piper said uh, that he thinks he might have started off writing Little Children and then realized, well, I don't want to denigrate my, my leaders. I don't want to make them think that I think less than them. So he's like, I'm also writing you fathers and, oh, and you young men. That's why he thinks he did. But, you know, who knows why he, he, he did it. But what the, the thing that Piper pointed out is the... Same thing that I said yesterday, which is that regardless of those designators, you can remove all those and every single one of the things that he says um, about who he's writing to, um, you can say about every Christian. Yeah. You, you know, you don't have to be a father to know the one who is from the beginning. You don't have to be a young man to have victory over the evil one. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's uh, John is pretty old. Right. When we get to First John and Revelation. Yeah. So I think uh, y'all probably have to help me. Um, you might have talked about this already. With I don't know if you went over the date of First John. I just mentioned it briefly yesterday. It, it, uh, it's like eighty five. Most people think it's around the end of the first century. Yeah. 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 And I think Revelation. They say it was written around 90? ninety to ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. And Mo- what's the gospel? The the issue. 80? Well, I think they say it's at least sometime after 70 A.D. because the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. But either way, the reason it's important to me is because these guys were young at at 30 A.D. when Mm -hmm. they would have met Jesus. I mean, like... Right. But if he's writing at 85, that's 55 years past the time when... around the time when he met Jesus. Right. So if he's like even eighteen, right? And in their culture, man, you get up in seventy, you're like, you're old. You're you're wise. You're a guru. Right. Like everyone yeah. wants to kind of glean from you and learn from you. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a special thing, and I think you're seen as blessed for reaching that age too. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the familial language, like I just I feel like and I hate to talk about Santa Claus, but I just think he's got like this Santa Claus kind of like. Yeah, feeling this yeah. old old we, guy who everyone respects and wants to, you know, go sit in in daddy's lap or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. There, there's there's certainly a warmth. Yeah, that we get from from John, especially towards the the Johannian community that he was that he's part of there. And in fact, we're gonna next this sneak peek into where I'm going next week is I'm gonna be talking about belonging to a different family. Um, because we're going to get into um, uh, what it means to remain or belong with God, and then also uh, what it means to be a child of God, looking like our Father, that sort of thing. That's where John goes next, and that's where our um, that's what we're looking at next week is belonging to a different family. So well, as, we, as, we, to, as we push forward, and going back to you know why John's so respected. I mean, he was. You look at his life; he was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Yeah, um, he would have saw he would have seen things like the transfiguration, mm-hmm. and I mean they all witnessed the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, and the ascension, and 
John, if I'm not mistaken, I think church history, and it might be in scripture, I'm not sure, but I think at least in church history, they say he was, they tried to kill him. He like tried to poison him, um, but he survived it. Yeah. Uh, but he survived. Yeah, something with the. Uh, I think it might be tradition. I don't know yeah. that it's in scripture. Yeah, I don't think it. But I know like tradition or church fathers. Was or, he bitten by a snake? I know Paul was, but. Well, yeah. That was. Again, I think it's. <laughs> I, I think it's church tradition. It's yeah. not in scripture, so I. Yeah. I'm not certain yeah. about it. But I guess well, all that to say, he's experienced a lot with Jesus, and if you could, oh yeah, be yeah. able to hear well, from him, I mean, that's like it's like gold. So getting to the context of the letter, which you know, normally I know Jeremiah, we, we would do that at the very beginning, and I didn't, um, yeah. but I felt like this week was a good week to kind of talk about why is John writing this? Yeah, what's going on, and what's the occasion for him sending this letter? Um, why is he taking so much time to remind them of who they are? Right, remind them of 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 that they are Christians, that they are, um, that their, their sins have been forgiven, that they do know God, that they do have victory over the evil one. Why is he doing that? What is the context here? And most scholars believe that he's writing, uh, he seems to be writing um, to the church to encourage them because there's been a division amongst that Johannian community of faith where... Um, some false teaching has, has wormed its way in and a group of people have split off from the community um, and now the people who are left behind are like, well, you know, what, what, what do we even believe? And, yeah. and how do I know that I'm, I'm not in error too? How do I, you know, those guys were in error. How, how do we know that what we, what, you know, how do we know? And John's, John's saying, look, you are, I'm writing to you because you are Christians. Yeah. You have believed in the name of the Son of God. You do have the truth. Um, I'm not writing to you because you don't have the truth. I'm not I'm not here to chastise you. I'm here to write to you to tell you you do have the truth and that um and, and I want you to stay the course. Don't be led astray by these false ideas. And um the false ideas that that were 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 the, that had led to this split Scholars uh, differ on, and there's it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on. It's not full Gnosticism because Gnosticism hadn't gone full blown by that point, um, so it's not fully Gnostic. But there might be some Gnostic precursors here at work. Uh, in particular, the one that I mentioned was uh, uh, um, Docetism. Yeah, um, and and um, Docetism is this idea that. Jesus it was physically real; that he only seemed to be real. Um, it comes from a Greek word, Greek root word that means seems or appears. So, it's possible that that the there might be some Docetics here, or you know that that are believe that uh, that they've they've come to understand that um, Jesus was just spiritual, and so um, and in, that's why John at the beginning of the letter says, like you said a minute ago. This is the one we've seen, heard, tasted, touched. We, you know, this isn't this. This is the one that I, I saw with my own eyes, right? He's been, he's taking great pains to say this physically is real Jesus, right? Well, even in his gospel at the end, he talks about how Jesus had breakfast with his disciples. Yeah, right. Because he's like, you know, a ghost can't eat breakfast, right? <laughs> so know? then, from from there, from the Stocetism, um, this. This idea of Jesus being just spiritual, 
something that, that, that there was also, and there is, and I, I don't have, uh, maybe I do have it. I'll pull it up in a second. I, I didn't read it, but there's an actual, uh, there's a couple of Gnostic documents that I read uh, from that from that time period that sort of have this idea of um, sinlessness about them, like that sin is not a moral failing, but is rather a, a, a misunderstanding or a mixing of spiritual and physical things together. And so that's why John's like, those people who say they don't have any sin are lying and the truth's not in them, right? Um, because if you say you don't have sin, then you're making God into a liar. You're not sinless. But if you do sin, there's hope. There's We have an advocate, yeah. right? He's not saying, because he's going to make some pretty strong statements um, in fact, ne- in next week's thing, um, we, we hear things like, you know, um, uh, I'm looking for it here. Uh, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. And then uh, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. It's like, wow, that's okay. That's how does that work? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that next week, you know, but there, uh, that's sort of the context of the letter. And so I think it's important to understand, right? Because um, it puts it, it gives us a framework for better understanding why John is is talking about one uh, this idea of sin and how you how it's wrong to say that you don't that, that you're sinless. Two, why he's why he's making a big deal out of out of that which is physically real, um, and three, why he's talking about loving each other because he's saying, look. They didn't. They didn't remain in love with us. They weren't part of us because they took off. They left. Um, you know, if they had been part of us, then they would have stayed. Yeah. Uh, but they're gone now. So anyway, I, I think that's kind of important to understand. Um, yeah, and going to your uh, your statement about the strong statements, and I want to talk about identity, and I want to talk about Lion King in a second. <laughs> um, I think. And I said this before the podcast. Um, a lot of people like to go to James, and a lot of people pick James as their kind of favorite book to teach and favorite book to just like maybe their their, their favorite book because it's so practical. Yeah. Um, and I agree, but I'm always uh, I get a little nervous when people kind of pick that as their favorite book and want to teach through it because because of its practical nature. It kind of assumes some things about mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. And another reason why I think that this is like the structure is not great in First John um, is because I think that he continually reminds people of the gospel yes. over and over, which I think is a more practical thing to do than to just go straight to James and assume things. Mm-hmm. I think that John won't let you assume that you can earn your salvation. I think continually he is trying to remind you that uh, you must be in with God. You must be reconciled to God. You must have fellowship with God. You must be a friend of God or you cannot do these practical things like live without sin or or, or, or at love least one another, right? love one another right. and love Christ. In fact, uh, I love your point about the, the Christ's law like, because uh, I remember the first time I read in Scripture uh, things like, and thus fulfill the law of Christ, or and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. I'm like, 
what in the world is the law of Christ? That yeah. doesn't make any sense until you realize that he kind of gave his own law in the great commandment, that mm-hmm. there's, it's really just about loving God and loving uh, your neighbor. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of use that as a segue to talk about identity. Do yeah. you want to try to define it? Well, you know, um, yeah, so I, I, when, I think a, of, um, when I think of identity, because that, I mean, that's and good, good to bring that up because I think that's, I, I think that's what John's getting at through this whole, whole section, obviously. Yeah, for sure. That's why I titled this Having a Different Identity. I think you nailed it. Um, I think that um, identity, it's clearly it's, it's what defines you, right? It's, 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 what, it's who you are, to, to, borrow, to borrow the whole Lion yeah. King intro, right? It's, it's, it's who you are and who you are, not just who you are, but I would say your identity is also wrapped around who who you are created to be. Yeah. Not just who you are in the moment, but who you're created to be. So I think that each of us has that um, that potential um, wrapped wrapped around us, right? That we, we we're designed for a purpose. We're God has created us for a purpose, and part of who we are is wrapped up in that purpose. And when we substitute something else for what God's intended purpose is, then we're doing exactly what I mentioned that Mufasa says to Simba in that moment. You're you're becoming less than what you were supposed to be, right? You, yeah. You've become, uh, how is he says? He says, uh, um, he says something like, you've become less than you should have or something. I can't remember exactly yeah. the words. I wrote them down before, but um, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think um, from a practical standpoint, Jeremiah, um, yeah, you are more than what you have become. That's it. Yeah. You're more than what you've become. It says in the positive. Yeah. Um, I think from the practical standpoint, I think a way to measure what you perceive as your identity is what do you spend your time, your resources, your energy on the most? What takes priority for you? Because the thing that motivates you, the thing that drives you, is generally the thing that which you identify yourself as. I'm not saying that is your identity, yeah. but it's the thing that you've made your identity. For instance, if, if I, um, you know, if I'm if I'm given the opportunity to, um, uh, you know, if I, I'll use two secular examples instead here. Let's say I, um, I, I there's two opportunities. I, I can go to a concert. Um, with my friends and go see this band that I really like or I can go to my daughter's um, um, softball game where you know she's um, she's they're not it's not a championship thing or anything they're just playing a softball game um, the one that I choose is probably going to be the one I'm more identify with right yeah um, the, because that's who I am or that's who I, I perceive myself to be. And so I think that has more, there's a lot of language about identity right now, especially when you talk about gender identity and stuff. We don't, we're not even get into that. Yeah. But I think that identity at bottom is how you define yourself. That's, that's what I would say. And, 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 yeah. and wrapped up with that is your intended purpose. Yeah, I wanna, uh, I guess clarify, I agree it's how you, uh, define yourself but really what defines you what defines you because i want to put it more in like what you really are who you really are Uh because you can you can claim things about your identity sure and that's why like with simba with the story and what we do a ton of times 
God, and I, and I love that. I think I think John right here is trying to remind them. Look, this is who you are, because mm-hmm. they could come back with, yeah, but I sinned yesterday, mm-hmm. and yeah, but I mean, I just I, I'm struggling with this, or and that's what Simba does, right? He's like I, I, he lives in his shame and regret for things that happened in his past. And, and that's why I love the Mufasa thing when he, he shows up and he's like, that's not who you really are. Right. Remember who you, he says who you are, but right. I think what he means is remember who you really are. Right. And, uh, and that's why, like, uh, what's, the, what's the song that's like, uh, there's a very popular song right now, uh, Hillsong. Uh, I am who you say I am. Yeah, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And the yeah. other one that's like... Uh, yeah, who you say I am. That's yeah, it. I think we sang it yesterday. We sang who you say yeah, I am. Yeah. The funny thing is, I'll, I'll, we'll pull back the curtain moment here. Um, that was not the original invitation I picked for that. For that, But what happened was um, I I put the set list out before I fully got into... I knew the general section I was going to be dealing with, but I hadn't fully gotten into the scripture entirely. And I, after I realized... That oh man, this whole section is about identity, um, and having a different identity. That's really what this is about. I realized afterwards, I was like, man, I missed that opportunity there. I should have done who you say I am, you know. Yeah. But, um, and so we decided yesterday in, in, in the last minute, kind of called an audible, and I said, look, we're going to do that as an invitation. We're doing who you say I am instead. Are you guys yeah. cool with that? And they were fine with it. So, and I think yeah. it fits the so text. I, mean, I think yeah. it fits the text well because you know you throw in like places like Romans eight, you know, things like identity like that. It's yeah. like great, but I think for First John too, I think yeah. that was a killer song for us. And that, I've been sitting on this for a while. I've been wanting to say it. It's okay. kind of a preacherism, but I think it just rings so well. So, like with Mephasa, his his statement was, "Remember who you are." Mm-hmm. I think with John here, he's straight up saying, "Remember whose you are." Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like, like that. you are God's child. You right. belong to Christ. You are in. You are you are reconciled to Him. You yeah. belong to Him. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on, you know, the controversy or whatever that controversy may be. And I think some of that controversy, you got to you got to put yourself in their shoes. We know that all the biblical authors and all the people in the Bible they assumed Jesus was coming back in their time. Right. If this is like eighty five A.D., mm-hmm. you know there's some skepticism. Like, dude, is this actually going to happen? Right. Is he actually going to come back? Right. There's those types of questions. Sure. Like, was Jesus who he said he was? Is he really going to come back and and well, rescue us? Well, it's been 50 us? years at this point, 50, 60 yeah. years, you know? And so right. they're struggling with maybe doubt, with maybe their identity. And and I think, I think John's making a very big point to say, look, remember who you belong to. Yeah, yeah. That's who you are. I like, I like your remember who you are. I, I, uh, I think the way that I put it yesterday is remember who you are in him. Yeah. Because I think it's important... It's not, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I purposely left out a section of, uh, of Mufasa's speech when I talked about that oh, yesterday, yeah. <laughs> about, you know, you need to take your place in, in the circle of life. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, no. That's not, that's where it, it, it falls Right, down. right. That's, that, 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 yeah, the analogy falls apart at that point. Because for, for, for Simba, he has a rightful, like, title tied into it. Yeah. And for us, it's not about like the title or the position right. that you're supposed to have. It's 
It's it's who you belong to. Yeah. Well, there is this idea, you know, and I didn't bring this up. There, there is this idea of uh, in in the Lion King where there's a mo- that there, there's that moment where he's looking up at the stars and he knows what he's been taught about the stars and he mentions it to them and when he does they laugh at him. Yeah. And they they are like, oh, that's stupid, you know. And he's like, and he he kind of laughs to himself. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That is that is stupid. I don't even know why I said that. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, I don't know why I said that. And I'm like, man, that's what Christians do, yeah. right? That's exactly what we do. We, we're like, we, we forget who we are and we get duped into, like, we get, we fall in with the rest of the world. And the world's like, ah, what you believe is a fairy tale. It's nonsense. It's stupid. And you're like, yeah, you know, and some people are like, yeah, maybe, I, I don't know. And, they, and they're, they're, they're not strong on it. So they're, 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 they're like, yeah, you, maybe you're right. I, I don't know. You know, and so they, they forget who they are. They forget, no, 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 this is the truth. Yeah. This is the truth. And it's really crazy how they'll work, too, because Satan will use these people. Like, he's not just going to come out and be like, what you believe is a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it's just going to be like a question or two here and there just to kind of get you thinking. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's what happened in the garden. Right. You know. And, and yeah. There again, not much has changed. I, I could have. I, I realized after I watched it that I could preach an entire message using Lion King because uh, yeah. because Scar, the way that Scar gets initially little cub Simba to go into that elephant graveyard where he gets in trouble is he basically just plants a seed of doubt in his mind. And I'm like, he's the serpent. He's the serpent in the garden. Yeah. It's oh, exactly yeah. what he's doing. He, he does the whole thing of only the bravest of lions would go mm-hmm. there. Don't go there. You know, you don't you don't need to go there. And he knows what he's doing. And, you know, he and and he's con- he his he, the way he works is he works to manipulate Simba into going and doing these things. And so um so then yeah, when Simba gets when when the thing happens with Mufasa and he tells him to run, run away, and he he, he sends him he sends him out and Simba manages to escape because he's gonna kill him. Um, the next thing that happens is Simba runs into to Timon and Pumbaa, we know, and then they teach him Hakuna Matata. And this gets into like my second point in the message yesterday, actually, in yeah. some ways. Because um, we hear Hakuna Matata, we, we hear people like, oh yeah, Hakuna Matata. And the thing is, is Hakuna Matata has kept Simba from being who he's supposed to be. Yeah. It's not a good thing. It actually ends up being a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, this, this idea of... I. I it means no. Put my head in the sand and run yeah, from my problems. Yeah, put my head in the sand and run from my problems. And I'm just going to enjoy being in the world. I'm going to enjoy a life of ease and pleasure and self-gratification. And this gets, I think, to John's, sec- John's point next, right? John says, don't love the world or the things that belong to the world. Yep. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Yeah. Man, um, you know, and so I, I, I wanted, I think I probably spent more time on this point than I did anything else that yeah. I talked about yesterday. But I think it's important because I think if there's a place where we slip up, it's here. Yeah. It's here in this. In, in this. I think that... that from the beginning, we we have we've done what Simba does. I didn't bring Simba into this. I didn't want to just make the whole thing about the Lion King. But yeah. since we're talking about, it, we do the same thing. We 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 realize that living in the world is easier. Sacrificing for myself is easier than sacrificing for God. Um, and so it becomes much easier 
to let the world define my motivations, my my things, than it does to let God. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think uh, I think we just numb ourselves. Yeah, with, with the things of the world. And uh, what you just mentioned earlier is probably my favorite scene in Lion King. Of all the great scenes, for this one sticks with me the most when they're lying on their backs. Yeah. Looking up at the stars. And they're all, each given their definition of, right. of what they represent. Right. And, uh, and uh, Timon, he gives his definition something like, they're little fireflies. Their fireflies got stuck up in that bluey black thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... I think we do that. I think we settle for arguments and pleasures in this world that just, from God's perspective, sound that foolish. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, y'all are selling yourselves so short. Yeah. Uh, and there's the funny part where uh, Pumbaa's like, oh, they're, they're big balls of gas. Right. <laughs> floating miles and miles away. And they're like, oh, everything's gas with you, Pumbaa. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he actually yeah. gives the right He gives answer. the right definition <laughs> the, of it. The scientific answer. Let's right, he gives one. the scientific answer. And, and then, like I said, and then Simba gives his answer. And his yeah. answer comes from who he is and who yeah. he's been taught to be. And then they laugh at him, and he backs off of that answer because they laugh. Um, and so I think, man, he just settled. And I think, from God's perspective, that's what happens. They're like, man, how could they be so deceived by something so dumb, so like fleeting? But it's been that way from the beginning, Jeremiah. Oh, I, I know. mean, I mean, and that's why Since I said, yeah. that's why I said, I think that John is purposely using lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle to harken back to that moment in the garden. Yeah, because it's those three things that we see. That end up being the temptation for Eve to, yeah. to take Adam and Eve to take of the fruit because we see that it's good for food, it looks pretty, and it's desirable to make one wiser to give them the knowledge that so they can be their own god. Well, that reminds me a little bit too of Jesus' temptation, you know, because uh, Jesus said, "Turn these stones into bread." Jesus didn't say that. My bad. Uh, Satan said, "Turn these stones right. into bread." Right. You know, it's. Self gratification, and I'm sure it probably looked kind of pleasing, maybe at sure. first. And you know, he says, takes them up on the Temple Mount, and says, "Look at all the kingdoms, and they be yours if you bow to me." Which, like plot twist, they already were his, you know. Right. But and so I think you know, kind of seeing theme of scripture, he kind of uses a lot of those. He feeds on those same, same kind of themes. Yeah. Well, and and, and Pride often is the one that creeps in the most, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's 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 generally because at some point we want we want to define what's best for us. We want to define ourselves. We want to. That's it, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's been that way from the beginning. Um, from the beginning, we've we've taken the good things God's made. And and he, and do you? Uh, I'm assuming you guys are are with me on this. Because it does say, I mean, John says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. And you go, whoa, <laughs> does that mean I got to hate the world? Well, that doesn't make any sense. It'd be like Amish. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think one could take that and run with it the wrong way. Right. And um, I don't, I, I, that's why I, I, I made the point, look, God loves the world, so I, you can't be wrong to love the world. But what the problem can be is is when you... Are prizing the world above above other things yeah. uh, when you love it in in that way, and I think one of the 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 
the translation is uh, do not love the world or the things that belong in the world or not just belong to the world or the things that are in the world. Yeah. Um, don't, 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 um, don't prize the world um, and the things that are in the world more than the person, more than the one who made this world. I think this is, I think that's what John's trying to say. Yeah. Um, well, and I think too, uh, the Lord's given you some passions for to go out and do some things in the world, but the whole purpose for you is to go and make the one who created the world known. You know, yeah. like if you have a desire to like work with your hands or you know to fix things, you know, and if you're in that kind of vocation, then you can use that as a platform, yeah, sort of, to advance the gospel. Do you, um, do you think that um, I mentioned something yesterday, and and I, and I said it a minute ago. And I just want to have a little bit of discussion on it. Do you think I'm right when I say that that it's easier to sacrifice for me because when I sacrifice for me, there's always a benefit in it. But if I sacrifice for God, there's not always a tangible benefit for me. Like I'm not always at the at the forefront for that. Like I I, I, I was even thinking like I I can sacrifice for me or I can sacrifice for my family because and people do that all the time. And why? Why? Well, because at the bottom of it, it's something that I want. There's something I want out of that. Yeah, it might be something I give up in order to get, but I'm giving up something in order to get something better or something that I want more. But when God asks me to sacrifice, it's not about sacrificing for myself. I'm sacrificing something that I want in order to give Him honor. And it doesn't always work out that I get something at least immediate out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, when you were talking about that, I I was trying to figure out, you know, you know, how does that work? And what I landed on in my head, just I haven't thought about it much, but um, was that when we sacrifice for ourselves, we're looking forward to the prize, to the goal. Mm-hmm. But when we sacrifice for God, it's, out of the goal like we've already received the prize mm, yeah you see what i'm saying like, no, I like that. it's I out like of that. it's out of gratitude for the prize so mm-hmm. like uh the first thing that came to my mind was hunting mm-hmm. people will spend hours and days tracking down like the kill the mm-hmm. one that they want the prize or whatever yeah and they sacrifice so much looking forward to that prize if you just throw the prize in front of them it's not as it doesn't feel as as gratifying right but that's what's happened in christianity we 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 live out of the gratitude and sometimes we just forget like Mm -hmm. that you've already received the prize the benefit right and so uh, yeah it's but i definitely agree like we we sacrifice to get things a lot. Yeah. Um, and and well, I think Christianity is just a little different because if you if there's there's a, a worldview or or it's called legalism where where I must sacrifice in order to receive God's favor. Right. But it doesn't work like that. No. You you sacrifice because you've already received. Yeah, and that's a re- that's a really important distinction that I'm glad you bring up because I think I, I think uh, that's that's a better way of saying it than what I said yesterday. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. It's it's out of it's out of the fact that we've already received the benefit, 
not so much that we're trying to earn more benefits or anything like that. And 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 I, what I was thinking is like, you know, if I'm and I use this example in the sermon, but if I'm if if I'm concerned about my health, right? I sacrifice. Like there's a piece of cake there, and I want to eat cake. But I go, no, I want cake, but I'm going to sacrifice not eating cake. But why? Because I know that it's better for me in the long run to not eat the cake, and I want the benefit of, of losing weight, or I want the benefit of having a healthier body. So um, I'm willing to make that sacrifice because there's a goal in front of me that I want to receive, right? Yeah. Um, whereas sometimes God will ask me to go and sacrifice time to go spend with somebody else um, in sharing the gospel or in ministering to a need. And I'm not really getting anything out of that. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm having to give up stuff to go and do that. And there's nothing in it for me. Like, what is in it for me other than just maybe I feel good, you know, or something like that? Yeah. Or, or you know, um, and, and one might say, well, um, well, yeah, but you're going to get your, your, you're getting the heavenly benefits or whatever. But I don't see those right now. Yeah. And so... To, so I, I, that's the. I think that it's the difference between chasing something that's temporal and chasing something that's eternal. Yeah. Um, and and the thing that's eternal is not always tangible. It's not always there in front of you. What I like, I like what you say better there in, in Jeremiah that that it's. And it's again, it's remember whose you are. Right. That's right. what. Because like with sacrifice, and I say this a lot, what you're essentially doing is you're giving up something that's that you want that you think is good. Because you think you'll receive something better. Mm-hmm. So like with cake. Right. You get It's a good thing. Right. But you're sacrificing the cake because you think you want to make this sacrifice because you think, and you're right, that that the fitness or the health is better right. than the cake in the long run. Right. And I mean, that's, you know, Christianity, except we already, we already have received it. The, the fitness. The same, yeah, we've, right. already, we've already received the greater. goal. And so just remembering who you belong to, remember whose you are. And I think that's, it's tough because your your whole life you've been trained that you, self-gratification, especially in America, and it's a whole new training session to, yeah. to, to be able to, to act out of the gift. Rather than act to receive the gift. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, man, that's such a good point. That, that's a, that's a really, really, really good point. I like that a lot. Um, so, um, the last thing, because we're running out of time here, we got about ten minutes, so we'll we'll, we'll go to the last point, and that's um, it's actually the longest part of the passage, but probably the time I spent the least on, um, and that's that. I think part of having a different identity is is clinging to the truth, um, because. Those who don't, there are those who are going to cling to the truth, and those who are not going to cling to the truth. Yeah, and um, and so he has this thing about the Antichrist, and uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of went over that really quickly because I think I think we I think if we spent too much time talking about the Antichrist, then we're missing the point of what John's saying here. Yeah, John is trying to say. Look, don't be so concerned about these last days and figuring out who the Antichrist is. There's plenty of people out there who are opposed to Christ right now. Yeah. And you need to be vigilant. You need to you need to be vigilant because they they were here in our own fellowship. Um, and it's it's clear that they weren't part of us because they left. If they had been if they believed what we believe, they would have stayed, but they didn't. And he says, I'm not writing you because you don't know this, you don't know the truth, because you do know the truth, right? 
Um, and so um, I think that there are, even in, and I mentioned this, I think that there is, uh, even in the Christian church today, there's, there's danger in false doctrine um, creeping in. There's false teachers. There's false doctrine. Um, and there's, there are things that are um, opposed to God and His Word to get into the church. There are things that, um, there are false versions of the gospel um, there, there are beliefs out there that would threaten to split churches um, and not unify them. Mm. And so that's why I said, you know, um, it may sound it may sound harsh or may sound um, uh, maybe too absolutist, but I, I think it's true. If it doesn't look like Jesus or sound like Jesus, and if it believes you, it leads you to believe something the Scripture doesn't teach, and it has no place in the church, yeah, at all, mm-hmm. zero. I and I think uh, you know, growing up. You know, I, when I obviously every time I heard the word antichrist, I thought of like this evil man in the last days who's going to like oppose Jesus or whatever. Yeah. But I would actually argue, I don't, I don't even think that's even what John's getting at here. Uh-huh. Because as I was a, uh, like in my Greek class as well, we went through First John and a little bit in First John 2. And when we were looking at the word antichrist in Greek, it doesn't necessarily always mean against Christ. Mm-hmm. It means like instead. It could mean instead of Christ or in place of Christ. Mm. And so with that, it has with in place of or instead of. It almost has like, well, Christ is good, but how about this instead? You know, it might give way of where it doesn't come across as necessarily against, but it's a tactful way per se of, right. of taking Christ's rightful place in your life, like becoming an honestly, idol. yeah, honestly. The whole antichrist motif we have is so against Satan's mo that like it doesn't make any sense that he would even be like that. A lot of it was developed in in in, in the Middle Ages, yeah, um, in, which in, the I Dark mean, Ages is what they're right, called. It come, yeah. Comes yeah. from that comes more from that tradition, yeah. Um, of this of this one individual who was going to be the antichrist. Now it's clear that. Here he says antichrist and antichrists. Like right. he makes the point for us here. Right. He's like, who? Don't worry about that, because apparently someone had brought it up, right? Right. And he wants them to focus on the fact that there are many antichrists now. Yeah. Don't don't follow them. Don't fall away with them. Yep. Uh, and follow them. Because I feel like he might be getting if he, if you're so focused on what's to come, you're going to almost subject yourself to the antichrist now. Mm-hmm. That's going on. Yeah, and, and and it's it's it's. Uh, I think I think his whole point is: look, live your lives as though this is the last days, and 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 that means be vigilant as though the antichrist has come. And obviously, the antichrist has not come. You know, even though lots of people think that, like I said, any I president, it don't matter what. Yeah, party, any sitting president has, has at one time or another been, you know, been been pictured as the antichrist by somebody. I'm Either sure, leader of Russia, or China right, or right. Anywhere. And so, uh, clearly, the antichrist hasn't come, but there have been many antichrists yes. who have come, and and we do need to stay vigilant. And the way we do that is we stay in the Word, and we, and knowing the real one. Yeah. And just know the real one. Know the real one. And anything that's not the real one, that's antichrist. Well, I know what counterfeiters teach you. Uh, like the people who, yeah. uh, the people who uh, are trained to uh, sniff out counterfeits, the way you know a counterfeit is to know the real thing, right? Yeah. Know the real thing that's forward good. and backward. And then if you, then you know when, when the fake shows up. Yeah. It's, 
so much easier to teach one thing than to teach all the variants. Like, right, exactly. Oh, it could look like this, or it could look like this. If you know the real thing, right, then you, you're going to sense out a counterfeit so fast. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to have to use that for my Wednesday night study. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, so I, like I said, I've, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed the time that I've, I'm spending in First John. I, it's a I hope, great book. Yeah, I agree. Great book. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, uh, it gets better. I yeah, mean, it's it's already great. So I hate saying it gets better, but man, it there's a lot of there's a lot of like four and five was just it's like a crescendo. So of good. awesomeness. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're we'll hopefully get there. Um, I like I said, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to look at. I think as of right now, I'm looking at First John two twenty four through. Um, 310, I think, is what I'm looking at. Uh, maybe, um, yeah. Oh, this week? Yeah. You're going to 310? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going from 224 to 310, which is quite a bit of text. but um, And just kind of looking at, at what it means to belong to a different family. Um, and uh, in, in particular, uh, what it means to be God's child. Yeah. Um, cool. and, to, and that idea of belonging... Um, John uses the word just in the end of John chapter 2 if you'll look he uses you'll hear me say this he uses the word remain there in those last verses from 24 to, to 27 a number of times he just keeps saying it over and over and over again and so there's this idea of belonging and we'll talk about that um, next week so so if y'all just heard that it might it might be the word abide you're looking for yeah abide remain I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna talk about it in terms of belong. Yeah. Um, but I think that that that's sort of what he's getting at here. Again, John is all about familial terms and he uses a lot of familial language, and so I think it's what he's doing here as well. All right. Well, um, thanks for joining me on this one, fellas, and it's been good. And it's I, good to be back. Yeah, it is. Good it's it's good to be back on the podcast and get the podcast rolling again. So um, thanks for tuning in and listening to this one. Hope that you will join us for the next one and. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any questions for us, you can always feel free to email us at rosbcpastors.org. Um, and so uh, you can email us at rosbcpastors at, at gmail.com. I'm sorry, let me do that again. It's rosbcpastors, plural, at gmail.com. And uh, our website is rosbc.org. Um, so anyway, thanks uh, so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. So long.